For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, folks. We're back for part two of our discussion of the offense in that week three uh, loss to the Colts. Uh, this is Film Study, and I'm Ken McCusick. Uh, joined here by Gabe Ferguson, my friend. And uh, Gabe, a game that we still have to blame, I think, on the offense overall. Uh, let them really uh, take the heat for this one. I don't think it was the defense's fault. Yeah, the defense played phenomenal You know, throughout the entire game. Came up with many critical stops. Got the ball back to the offense and, and good field position frequently. Um, and the offense just couldn't put together, you know, three plays when they needed it most. Um, and I, th- I think a lot of the frustration from this game can be pinned on, on the offensive line performance. You know, a lot of pressures, uh, sacks, bad snap, some turnovers, et cetera. So um, I think we want to kind of go into some of the, individual performances here. And, you know, let's start with uh, Patrick McCarry, who um, really came off a very strong week, um, week two against Cincinnati, where I think he had a complete clean sheet, maybe one pressure the entire game. Um, he was very, very good in that performance against a very tough competition in Trey Hendrickson. Um, high expectations coming into this week as well. But um, what did you see in this week that might have been a little bit different than when we saw last time? Yeah, you're right. He did a fantastic job against Hendrickson. It might have been two total pressures, like one full and two halves against Hendrickson, but it was good. And uh, uh, this week, not nearly as good. He got beaten for a, a full sack by Ebicam that was just a turn the corner as fast as you can kind of sack. Obviously, Ebicam is is a guy who would probably be projected because of the combination of quickness and length to give McCary trouble. And he did. Um, he had another uh, sack where Lamar miraculously got out of it. We talked about this a, a little bit on the first episode um, and ran for 14 yards. And then there was an insult to injury defensive holding that got tacked onto that. So, uh, you know, a bad moment for McCary on that play that Lamar made all right. And that's what you get with Lamar Jackson. You occasionally get a problem solved for an offensive lineman. Uh, McCary didn't have any other negative events in this game, which was part of you know, why his, his overall grade is not too bad despite giving up two sacks and, or, you know, two, one actual sack and another near sack. Uh, so he had uh, seven missed blocks in the game. Uh, they, they had uh, three losses at the line of scrimmage among those. One of them was the second one to, to, to Abby Cam um, and a hold that he got away with, which was, you know, it, it didn't get flagged. So he got away with it. That's great. Um, 
I did take his entire adjustment away from him. And normally I have a small positive adjustment I add to reflect the quality of competition primarily uh, above the replacement level that the player is facing. So it's, so it's strictly positive in that standpoint, but also anything else that's not really covered by the system. So in this case, he didn't get a sack. He got run out of a, of a, of a sack. And so he lost his adjustment, which is effectively like losing three points. If he'd actually given up the sack, he would have lost six points. So I think it's actually a pretty fair reflection of the, uh, of the situation. Um, he had eight blocks in level two, ha- uh, one out of two on poles. And that was a general problem for the left side. I want to talk about, and he had two highlight combination blocks. Uh, so a, a, a B in this game for him, uh, and, uh, 0.81 is kind of at the bottom of the B range, which I, I see I've got wrong on the notes sheet I sent you there, but uh, uh, but that's that's the way I saw it. I, I know PFF had him scored somewhat lower, and that's despite the fact we kind of agree, uh, uh, you know, factor by factor on uh, on what went on. And that's not always the case. Usually, it's oftentimes been the case where I've had Macari uh, Macari wrote it a little uh, a little lower. Yeah, I I know some of that can come into how the the adjustments are being made mm-hmm. or, or how particular plays are being weighted um, in the in the run blocking versus the pass blocking. And, and you know, PFF, for example, might have given him a very poor grade on, on that whiff block where Lamar was able to escape it. And, and you know, you said you took away his, you know, his ad- adjustment. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's there's some similar types of, of ch- adjustments that are happening there. Um, but even then, you know, a, a B, that, that's not the, the worst grade. Um, were there things that you saw in the in the run game that you you liked, or is it something that you think is maybe a, a concern? You know, good mobility to get to level two. Um, he was looking to go to level two, play after play after play in the run. Um, the Ravens had some general problems. Mustafer and Zeitler each were downfield illegally on a pass play. Neither one was flagged. But by the way, that's a real bugaboo for me, and I always give a zero on the on the blocking uh, grade for if when that happens because if that is flagged. It's a five-yard penalty, which is the same as a false start, which maybe doesn't seem that serious, but it's a lot more serious a penalty than a false start because it gives the option to the defense to either take the play or the penalty. And so it's a, it, it, it can be very bad. And um, McCary didn't have any of those this week. In fact, he did a very good job on one screen pass where he clearly knew the pass was going out to the left side of kind of dancing right at the line of scrimmage without a partner, waiting for that ball to come out. And then uh, I, I guess when he either figured it was out or heard it was out. Um, then he got it in front of that play and made a nice block. So, um, yeah, eight blocks in level two would be the po- the thing I would point to as the, as the positive for McCary here. So real, real quick, just, you, you made a comment there that I want to just get back to, um, about the, the dancing out in space, mm-hmm. like waiting for a play to kind of happen. And we saw that, I think with Kevin Zeitler too, on, on that screen to, mm-hmm. to Drake where, mm-hmm. um, the fumble happened. Um, is that something that's a problem with the way they're being coached? Because it, it seems like, you know, obviously, you know, you want to be looking for work, but he looks like he's just, is it a timing thing? It's, it's off. Like, I feel like it, it could be better executed on those types of plays. It absolutely it, it needs to be. An RPO offense generally has problems with that. The, the particular play you referenced is exactly the Zeitler problem play. It's IDP no flag on our score sheet here. Yep. And, and he got a zero. Uh, but it's exactly the kind of play. And Zeitler was three yards downfield, probably on that on that play. So he was the most egregious of the day. Although Mustafer had another one. Uh, it, it's it, it. You need to avoid those. You need to be so careful. And yet it's very difficult because the offensive line almost has to look backwards or wait for a, for some sort of go code to be screamed, which you know obviously somebody would have to be responsible for. 
um, in order to, to know that he can he can cross the line of scrimmage. So you're always putting yourself in danger when you have the ball getting pulled from the mesh and the and the the um, offensive linemen don't know whether to to, to anticipate run or pass correctly. Um, and it's got to be extremely well coached. And it's something I, I think the Ravens will get correct. It looked like basically from McCarry's play, his dancing along the line of scrimmage, they did a very good job of learning exactly what he needed to do. They may have even talked about it at halftime because, mm. or, or, or on the sideline at any time um, because it, it had happened a couple of times already in the game by then. Well, I certainly hope it's something that, you know, the offense can get cleaned up because, you know, I feel like, Historically, the Ravens have been such a bad screen team, screen offense over the past, you know, decade. Um, ever since Cam Cameron, really, they, they used to be really good at it back in the day. In the race um, day. But you know, now with 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 Munkin, you hope maybe that there's there's some hope to kind of be a little bit more effective with those types of plays. Um, and you know, maybe it's just it's a carryover of some of the the coaching staff. You know, it's hard to say for sure, but it's something that I think. A good teams need to have those plays um, in their back pocket when defenses are, are, you know, being really aggressive. When when you're having trouble getting things going, when you're in the right down distance, and, and it makes sense, if you can disguise it well and time it well and block it well, those can be really impactful plays in a game. And and we just don't see them very often out of this team. So I'm I'm hoping that that's something that they can work on. Yeah, it'd be one of the ways that you can slow down the pass rush against Lamar is to is to you know show week after week that you can run two effective screenplays that, you know, pants them on those plays where they're, <laughs> you know, rushing the quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. Completely agree on that. Um, we can, I guess we can move to the next player. We can just go, you know, left to right along the offensive line. So when we want to John Simpson, um, what did you see from some Simpson this week? He, he didn't have any, any penalty flags, which is a good thing, but the, maybe some other issues in his pass blocking. Right. So he had two flags in week two that were a problem. And of course, with Simpson, that's the big problem in his career is he had a bunch of flags in Oakland. We don't need to go into those numbers, but is more than one per 100 in his career. Um, so he didn't have any penalties this week. So good. Nice to get back on track in that way. Uh, he did give up two thirds of a quarterback hit when he was just overwhelmed by Buckner. So facing a quality opponent was part of what made him look bad occasionally. But he didn't do that poorly in 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 terms of blocking overall. He gave up one other pressure. He surrendered a penetration on what was a I'm sorry, that's another pressure there on what was a very tentative pull. So he was pulling on a pass play. He got over to the other side and he knew he had to block somebody. And he kind of waited right in the throwing cone for the guy to show up and be blocked. It's one of these, you know, you just got to know better than that. And and that was a pressure. Uh, that that he got, he d- he did block the guy, but he but it wasn't a good place to block the guy, and that uh, obviously is not good. One of the things I see from Simpson a lot, and and part of this may be he doesn't have the same kind of gourd like build of many guards in this league. So you 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 see, you know, you've all hear people called apples or pears mm-hmm. in in terms, and a lot of guards are pears. They tend to have large rear ends and lower bodies, big hips. And a lot of their weight is distributed lower in their body. And they, they're, they're big in the upper body too, but they have a lot of weight in their in their lower body, sand in the pants, as Mike Mayock used to call it, that helps them balance and whatnot. And Simpson is kind of built more like an offensive tackle, uh, long arms, um, kind of more of a Michael Orr type build top to bottom and being you know, sort of lean and muscular all the way top to bottom, which, which can bring up balance issues when you're trying to lean into someone. He's been very vulnerable to 
push-pull moves from opposing offensive linemen, of the opposing defensive line, and he's been on the ground a fair amount in the games. Now, that's bad, and, and I look at it on a play-by-play basis, and I say that's bad, and it's even a trend because it happens a lot, but I still score that on a play-by-play basis and, and, and tag him for it when it happens as opposed to saying this is a general problem they can't overcome. It's a, it's a problem to the degree it's a problem in the game, yeah. and in this game it wasn't – it, it, it didn't it's that specifically was not too much of a problem although the quarterback hit was an instance where where it did occur um he missed a total of seven blocks four of those were losses at the line of scrimmage now I, I always separate those out because losses at the line of scrimmage are worse than say moving into level two and not being able to find a block or even pulling and not being able to find a block which can happen so you, you don't want to have losses at the line of scrimmage where you're losing to the man and usually one-on-one directly opposite you 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 mentioned um, the 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 failed um, or tentative pull. Mm-hmm. I I'm not sure if we're thinking about the same play. So I'm thinking about a running play that was a third and one where they failed to convert. I think that was Simpson who was pulling, and and his the hole that he vacated was was kind of blitzed by by a linebacker, and he was able to make That's a right. tackle for loss. Is is that a different play? And, and is different that something? Play. Okay. And uh, the uh, that was an RL minus two on third and one. And let me find it on my score sheet here because it was on an important play. Um, should be the end of a drive, right? Because it made it a third was, and one into a third and three, didn't it? It was. Okay, it was the it end of a it's drive. The third, it's the beginning of the third quarter, first drive. So they had six unbalanced right. And the guy, Simpson pulled okay for, for a, a one on that play, but it was Mustafer who got beat because he couldn't pick up uh, speed. Mm-hmm the linebacker coming through the left a gap. And so it was a little bit of a, of, of a difficult um, extension for him to get back to the back side of the play. So it's not a reach yeah. anymore, but he, but he had to go back to the uh, to, to, to get a little bit extended. That's not on Simpson at all. That mustafer has got to make that block or he's got to affect that pass the, the rusher in some way, such that such that he can't, that doesn't have an easy trip to, uh, uh, to get to the ball carrier, but uh, but yeah, I, I I know the play you're talking about, and that was a okay. that was a really disappointing play for the offensive line, and for Mustafer in particular to have that happen and and uh, end a drive. Yeah, um, do we want to finish up Simpson? Is it sure. are there any more notes on um, six level two blocks, two pancakes, a couple highlight blocks uh, that were good. Uh, a B minus is a huge difference again from PFF. Take a look if you want, but it's not a matter of the events. We agree on the events that occurred. We just don't agree on the waiting. Hmm. And so um, they they may rate somebody more negatively for being pancaked on a play. And I I give them a missed block, but if it doesn't turn in anything, then it's just a missed block. So it's not the end of the world from 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 that perspective. And I can see reasons why you might do it differently, but B minus in this game anyway for Simpson and. Uh, is second consecutive B minus exactly, which is exactly a, a, a one point landing spot there because uh, I only give it at exactly the bottom of the grade level there. And, and uh, uh, interesting that he's got exactly there for two consecutive weeks. If, if you had to make an assessment in terms of pass blocking versus run blocking with Simpson, you know, as someone he's only started three games now for the Ravens, mm-hmm. do you have an impression as to what where his strength lies? You know, during the preseason, I would have definitely said he's he's seemed to be pretty good at both, and he and he had an almost perfect preseason in terms of the ability to to play zone, play power. Um, and he wasn't getting pulled over as much. I think that, that during the regular season, I think we've seen more problems with him being having being um, vulnerable to his push pull moves 
that could show up more as pass blocking problems. When, when a, a defender is not trying to two gap you, but is actively trying to throw you to the ground and, and make a play themselves. And, uh, you know, it's often going to be a three tech who would be doing that to you or somebody who's playing, you know, directly over you even. Um, uh, it's a, uh, th- that probably is as a potential cause more problems as a pass blocker. And we'll, we'll do one more quick follow-up on Simpson because, you know, and it's something that I'm curious about and, and there might be other, be other Ravens fans out there as well, but, you know, going into the off season, left guard was, was going to be a, a question mark. Right. And, and, you know, the addition of Simpson was, he was on the practice squad, I believe at the end of last year. So yes. he, he wasn't new necessarily. Um, but I don't think he was really expected necessarily to become the starter. Um, do you think it's a position he's going to hold for the rest of the season? And are, have you been impressed? Okay. With him so far? I, I, I'm more than okay in terms of where he is, but not all the way to great yet or, okay. by, or, or by, by any stretch, but he, I think he's C B minus B minus in three okay. games. You know, I, I, a C is not a bad grade at all. I, you know, it should be looked that way. And, and, you know, I know a lot of professors say that oh, a C is not a bad grade. And, you know, and then you find the average at your school is 3.5 or something. And so, yes, a C is a bad grade then. But, it, but, but, uh, uh, but that's not the case on, on my grading system. If you looked over the years, a lot of uh, offensive line, particularly in their first year starting for the Ravens, w- might be in that level. And then they ascend from there. You could project improvement. And we've already seen a lot of improvement from where he was in Las Vegas. So I think this is good. And I would project more improvement for the season. And I think, the, you know, we, I'm not sure if we had a chance to talk to about it during the preseason, but Sala, uh, you know, I think they, they had an artificial competition to basically light a fire under Simpson this offseason. And, and uh, Sala is not ready for an NFL field right now. He's a developmental lineman. And the notion that he should be out there ahead of Simpson – uh, was probably just encouragement to Simpson to say, clean up your game, stop with the excuses, whatever there might have been coming from coming from Las Vegas, and there could have been plenty, um, and, and learn how to play football the Raven way, and you're going to be a good offensive lineman. And I think he's he's passed all the hurdles so far. Well, I mean, I think I think that's good 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 for the Ravens moving forward. Um, he doesn't necessarily have to be an A plus player for them to to be solid across the offensive line once once mm-hmm. they get you know some healthy players back. So I think. Overall, I would agree. I've been pretty pleased with what what he's been able to do, um, and filling some pretty big shoes that were that were left behind with uh, Ben Powers leaving after last season's really nice season from him. Um, so I think you know, moving on to to center, you know, we talked a little bit about Mustafa already with that that one play, um, the the inability to kind of catch the the linebacker coming through the hole. Um, but what, what other um, notes do you have on uh, on Mustafa from this game? Some some tough competition he's in there. So he's he bared bore the brunt. All the interior linemen had tough days, but Grover Stewart is a very good player, interior nose tackle slash defensive tackle. And then they've got the Forrest Buckner in there, who's one of the really good ones. Uh, it, it gives you a lot of trouble. So uh, Mustafer allowed two penetrations. Both of those, the first one ended a drive. We talked about that play while we were talking about Simpson. He basically couldn't pick up speed coming into the backfield. Uh, that ended with a R minus two on a third and one, but he had another drive staller earlier when he was pulling and he could not maintain, maintain his balance and got shed by Quiddy pay. And that was one where he's pulling to the left, got shed. And then um, he dropped the ball carrier. And that was on an, it was on a, might've been on a first down run that went for either minus one or minus two. Now let me see if I can find it here on my score sheet really quickly. Um, 
Oh, yeah. Okay. Here it is. So it's on a first and 10 last drive of quarter three. Um, and the, the last series of that drive, uh, he pulled, uh, got shed by pay and, and the ball carrier got taken down for minus two. Then they had an 11 yard pass that wasn't a first down. And then they failed on, th- uh, sorry. Um, on third and one, they had a 10 yard touchdown. It didn't stall the drive. It just, it just was, was a negative play. That's all. I've got to fix that because I put that in the article that way. But, uh, <laughs> but I now we've seen that. I, 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 I that's that sounds better anyway. They only had one pressure allowed in this game. Did have five missed blocks. Uh, two of those were losses at the line of scrimmage. I included in those the um, in the missed blocks the the bad snap. So I gave him zero on the play, and then I also took his entire adjustment away. That probably does not even fully reflect, um, you know, the proper penalty for that play. It's just a very severe play. I do wonder if there wasn't something else that caused that ball to be snapped. Like did so, did he think he hear, heard something? What signal was he working off that he, he decided to snap the ball at that time, but Lamar clearly was not ready for it. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, to see that happen. It hasn't been an issue with him in terms of like how, how he's been snapping, at least not that I've noticed. Mm-hmm. It seems like, you know, it seemed like an outlier, obviously, a really bad time and place for that to happen um, was in that kind of series of events in, in the first half that were, were really problematic for the Ravens um, and kind of got them behind in a game where, where they had the chance to kind of get out to a, to a big lead early. Um, but overall, you know, second game starting, he, he's not been the worst fill-in for 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 you know Tyler Linderbaum, and I, I'm I'm actually you know similar to what Simpson has been able to do. I, he's been been above decent, I think, and that's for someone who was just plucked off you know the practice squad could have been on anybody's roster that wanted him. That, that's not the worst thing in the world. You know, it's the weirdest thing, but it's really Zeitler who let the Ravens line down more than anybody else in this game, and the the the. The players on the left side, even though none of them was perfect, they all had you know blemishes on their day in, in terms of Mustafer, Simpson, and McCary. Um, Zeitler was really the worst offensive lineman uh, in, in this game by far. But Mustafer, anyway, just to finish off with him, seven level two blocks. you got to see um, the entire left side of the offensive line had 11 pulls in this game. So 11 times they were assigned a pull. They got a total of two points. Now, some of that is you know, a, a penetration or a pressure allowed on a pole. And they had one of each of those that, that, that really, uh, you know, knocked down their, their scores there, but that's awful. I mean, that is just terrible. And the right side, Zeitler and Moses went eight for nine on their poles. So the Ravens have an interesting inverted line where they either are going to have to, you know, run more unbalanced and try and get away from, you know, some of the weakness of, of the, that they have pulling the ball, depend on Ricard to make more lead blocks without a pull being there, or maybe just continue to teach and hope that players like Simpson in particular can can start to put it, put it together and do what they need to do when they pull. Yeah. Do you have any sense that that might be just because, you know, essentially the left side of the line is basically backup slash new to the offense personnel, the right side is a little bit more experienced, especially, you know, with the Ravens. Um, maybe, you know, as they get some more, you know, snaps under the belt, become more familiar with the cadence of the offense, the timing of those types of plays, and, and you know, hopefully not go against an athletic front seven like the Colts every week. But in you know, the next couple of weeks are, are going to be pretty stiff front sevens as well. So, you know, like to see that be converted at a higher rate for sure. 
Yeah, that, that's a great point, by the way. The, the continuity issues on the left side are a potential reason. And Mustafer's pull where he was off balance and he and he gave up the, the the run for negative two, it was a case where he had some contact with Simpson there. And that can be a problem that shows up. You, you have to know the dance steps, particularly if you're the center, to not get your feet tangled up with anybody moving behind you. And he also is incumbent upon the puller to know how they're they're moving from step to step. And of course, the defensive lineman also has a say in the matter by, by being able to push somebody back a little ways. So I think, you know, we can move on to Kevin Zeitler. You, you mentioned um, some of the struggles he's had early on in the season. It's, you know, it, it's a little bit out of character for him. He's been such a steady player for the Ravens over the past two seasons. And he's really been um, a kind of problem for them on the offensive line through, through three weeks. And it's been concerning. And it's not something that's that I think even the, the casual observer could see, could see, you know, the issues with some of the, the bull rushes that have happened to Zeitler. Mm-hmm. He's been pushed back into the pocket, you know, five yards right off the bat a couple, a few times. And it's, it's really affecting, you know, how, how the, the line is able to hold up in, in some of these passes. It, it's a great point. I mean, he, he got very upset, I think with Mustafer for not picking up a blitz and during this game, it might've been with Simpson, but it was one of the two. And I'm, I'm, I won't say which, but then he himself had problems picking up plays. He, he failed to pick up Franklin for one of the two, one of the two and a half sacks he allowed. And he failed to block either Franklin or Stewart, both who came from level two. And it was this case where inside, outside, you just got to pick one and block them. Okay. And, and you're probably making the wrong choice if you block the outside guy, which means you better block that inside guy. And he didn't do it. Um, so anyway, it's, it's, he knows what the rules are as an offensive lineman. He knows he didn't do the, the, the right thing on those plays, but um, he also got bowled straight up by Brian. And that's not a top-end defensive lineman. You know, that's not Stewart or Buckner. Those are the names you look to get those kind of a, a push on a veteran like Zeitler. But uh, but Brian pushed him right back into the quarterback. And I think he also dislodged the ball on that play, too. Brian did, or might have been another player. But he, he he pushed him right back into the quarterback on that play. I, I think that was the play where Lamar was sacked and lost the fumble, correct? Right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I'm not sure if it was him who was – causing the dislodgement of the ball, but he was definitely impacting Lamar's ability to avoid pressure from the other side as well. So, you know, having that player in, in your lap, basically, as soon as the ball snapped is, is a really bad sign. And, and like you said, Taven Bryan, you know, he's kind of been a journeyman defensive lineman, you know, first round pick or uh, by the, by the Jaguars a few years ago. So, you know, he has potentially a pedigree of, you know, athleticism, but he's never really been someone you consider as like a, a high end defensive tackle either. So, you know, I, I'm hoping that that Zeitler can kind of break out of this funk and you know work on his his anchor a little bit. I don't know if there's any underlying kind of nagging injuries that are, that are affecting him. Um, hopefully that's not the case because you know we know that the Ravens can't afford any more injuries along the the mm-hmm. line. But um, you know if and when it, he's you know still playing at this level, you know halfway through the season, do you think there's a chance that he gets replaced by a, a Ben Cleveland or maybe you know a another offensive lineman to come in and, and take some of the snaps like Makari? I think that's probably unlikely barring injury. I think it's much more likely that he'd lose his job due to injury given his age and yeah. that Cleveland would take it then. Or if you know they own up 
to some injury issues if he were to continue to play at this level for another three or four weeks. But Zeitler is, is playing. He's at a crossroads season right now. He needs he needs a good season to get one more contract that hopefully will be two or three years. And and the difference between playing at a B level where you know we're used to Kevin Zeitler playing on a very consistent basis with not even a whole lot of week to week variation. There's some. There's some for all players. So I don't want to say there, there's none, but but a very consistent B level. You know, in his time with the Ravens. Um, you know, he, he's three years close to $30 million he might get again, or he might get two years, 20 million. Um, but if he does, if, if he continues to play at this level, there's a real question as to whether he's done at the end of this year. So hopefully, uh, you know, he'll pick it up, uh, get a big contract from whoever. And, uh, you know, the Ravens will wish him well, or maybe they'll even sign him again. Yeah. I mean, I think it really depends on his play the rest of the year and, and what he's looking for in terms of a, you know, kind of a contract to end his career um if i mean if we get the play that he's had through the first two seasons as a raven mm-hmm. I, I would i would love to have him back but if it's a lot more inconsistent and up and down you know i think they probably going to have to go in a different direction um you, you did mention though that you know the right side of the line that include includes kevin zeitler we're, we're better on the pools mm-hmm. so does that, does that mean he's he's doing better in the, in the run blocking part and and the issues are more in in the pass protection yeah, almost all his his negative scoring. He only missed two blocks in the game, so he allowed a pressure and two and a half sacks. So that was minus 17 points on 72 plays. So that was most of what went wrong in the game for him. Uh, you know, missing two blocks that's uh, you know not that's a low number for for, for a game. That's quite good. Um, so he made four out of four poles, one block in level two only, which is not a lot for him. No pancakes, one highlight combination block, and a D after adjustment for Zeitler. Um, you know, in terms of what's going right from the run blocking perspective, he is the the technician the Ravens still have who knows exactly what the dance steps are in terms of pulling. Um, and they have one, you know, typically um, their counterplays that they run from right to left are going to be either him and Moses in motion or him, uh, Moses and Mustafa in motion, but not typically him and Mustafa in motion. And that is going to, uh, mean he doesn't get used on as many polls as Moses would typically get used on. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Well, you you mentioned Morgan Moses. Um, we can we can move on to, to him. I think now, um, you know, we talked about him a little bit last year. I think in the off season, one of my favorite Ravens just to watch. If you just just to dial in on on him on the offensive line, he's he's just a fun watch. You know, he's he's a guy that is going to get a little chippy at times. He's going to have some real fun highlights. Um, I think last week, you know, he had a, one of the, one of the most fun blocks on a defensive back you'll see, you'll see mm-hmm. in the NFL. Um, what do you, what do you have on, on Morgan Moses from this game? He really loves to finish. And I, I like that about him too. No, it was another top shelf game from my perspective. Uh, a third of a quarterback hit was his only pass rush event in this game. Uh, he had one false start that happened to dr- uh, stall the first drive of quarter three. And I got to look at that again to make sure that was true. Um, yes, 
it ended up being ended on a, on an RR minus two, but uh, on first down on that drive, they they got themselves behind the chains by by having a false start by Moses. So never good when a false start either stalls a drive and false starts have you know a certain amount of negative value. But on the other hand, they're kind of a cost of doing business, whereas IDP penalties are much more serious. And we we kind of went over that earlier. Um, he missed four blocks, uh, two losses at the line of scrimmage. That's not bad at all. Five level two blocks. When you think about Morgan Moses, you don't think of a mobile player necessarily, but this year and last year, tremendous mobility. That's that's the component of Morgan Moses has been way above expectation. We hoped we would get the pass blocker we've seen. We didn't have any right to think we might get the kind of mobility that he's shown during this time. And he made four to five uh, pulls, which is good to start with, but, but he didn't have any freebies. So the trailer on pulls will get a... P1N on our score sheet, meaning it was a P1 where he didn't make a block, but he didn't have to because the lead blocker took the only available block effectively. But he did have a block presented to him and he missed it. Uh, in fact, he went right between two goalpost blocks <laughs> that he that he might have made uh, on his one missed pull. So uh, I, I think it's been a good trust thing that that Monken has not been afraid to use his mobility at all, and that's been that's been nice. And yet they're still tucking him in to these unbalanced line formations and, and making use of his power as well. So uh, A, after adjustment for Moses in this game, he would have otherwise had a high B uh, even, even without an adjustment. And uh, uh, really nice game again for Morgan. Yeah, and getting back to his, his mobility, um, you know, some of the, not all of his pulls have been left-handed pulls, right? He's had a few pulls yeah, where- pulls to the right too. He's pulled yeah. to the right to kind of be like that lead blocker on the front side of, of the of the run play. And, and those have been very effective plays for the Ravens um, this season. I, I think, you know, he's been a, a big part of, of that, being able to kind of lead the charge out there on the edge. Yeah, so that that's that's typically a one-gap pull he's making where he's just pulling around the tight end. And yep. so it's a shorter pull, and you would expect him to be a little better. And he's also leading, so he has to hit. And if he doesn't hit, you, you, you really know. But he's very good about conserving momentum as he moves. So he'll the, the guy I really attribute that to in Ravens history is Vontae Leach of all the fullbacks they've had is a guy who he didn't want to turn and make a U-turn block to try and, and, uh, and just make sure he connected on pull. He wanted to conserve as much momentum as possible and flatten somebody. And that always has a certain value to it because a downfield block where a player is just completely off his pins, that guy's probably out of the play. And that's what turns 10 yard gains into touchdowns or 30 yard gains. Uh, so you really, you really like to have some of those in a game, but Moses has a lot of that. He's a great finisher and he's, he is more of a positional finisher, even with the momentum, but he really likes riding that guy for about five yards and then putting him on the ground at the end of the run, which I, I, I know you've probably, uh, seen him do so. Yeah. I love the way he finishes the plays and finishes his box. He's, he's just a joy to watch for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess, you know, that, that pretty much wraps it up. For the offensive line, uh, do you want to move on to yeah, some of the other uh, sure. positions? You know how this works. You're the guest. Please hit us up with the first guy you want to talk with. Talk about. So there's a few few thoughts I have here. Um, I want to start with someone who I think has been underutilized in the offense. And there's actually two players that I want to talk about in the same sense. Um, but Isaiah Likely um, is, is the one that immediately comes to mind. You know, he had a really nice kind of – it's like a seam catch – up, up um, to set up the first uh, Ravens touchdown, the first drive. Um, you know, he has the ability to kind of be a, an intermediate threat in, in this passing offense, and he's not really getting much use. Um, he also had a really critical drop in this game yep. um, that basically, and it's, it, 
in some senses cost them the win. I think if he makes that catch, they probably kick a field goal and win the game. Um, so that's that's unfortunate, and and that might be you know part of where the um, maybe some of the lack of a role is is coming from because he had some issues with, with drops last year as well. That's something he has to clean up if he's going to be more integrated. Um, but I still think you know he's someone who can really have an impact in this offense, and we have seen more twelve personnel usage by the Ravens, um, especially if you consider you know Ricard a tight end at times in the way he's lining up. Um, I think, you know, that's something that I think the Ravens could really use as a way to kind of dictate personnel and the way that they're going to kind of use their offense. And I think likely has a chance to kind of shine in that. If they want to not necessarily always be in 11, they've been in 11 a lot, but if you, if you can go to 12 and kind of run or pass out of it, that's a good place to be. You make, you make a really good point there. And they had 78 tight end snaps in, I think it's is it 72 total. I've got to look at this again because the game book, yes, it's 72 total on offense. I guess every single one of the Ravens plays had to be non-penalized for that to occur, which I didn't realize. That, that does not often happen because I think they lost the snap count 84-72. But it was, anyway, they, only, they had six plays where they had doubled up on a true tight end, and then they had Ricard in for some plays as well. They're running much lighter this year in terms of the, the number of, of heavies they use uh, each play. But uh, I agree with you. I mean, I think I, – I, I got to get likely by the productivity on a per snap basis before I worry too much about how many additional snaps he's utilized for. So he's going to, he's going to replace Andrews for a certain number of snaps and Andrews played 59 of 72 in this game. So he had some opportunity. He just needs to make something out of those. And he did have a good play. And then he had a really, really bad play. And it's like, that's the kind of play that you can really lose trust with Lamar on that, uh, uh, you know, the next time you don't get the, you don't get the football. One of the questions I asked Todd Munkin when he's at the podium in camp was, um, is it necessary to scheme the ball more broadly to fulfill defending every blade of grass in the way you've described the offense is running? And, and effectively, that's how I said it. And and he said, well, you know, some of it's scheme, and we're going to try and get to that. But the other part is these players individually need to make plays so they build trust with Lamar. It's like anybody. It's like, you know, you get the ball in basketball because the rest of your teammates trust you to make the three-point shot to win the game. And, you know, you're, you're whatever the case might be, uh, you, any any team sport is generally going to work that way. And and he's right on the money. I mean, you you're likely has to earn some additional trust and earn some additional uh, uh, currency in the bank with Lamar, frankly, in terms of his own play. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And just one more point about likely, um, because I, I'll just – and I might be wrong about this, but I think we've seen him get targeted on each of the first drives the Ravens have had this season. So he's gotten targeted and gotten a reception on each of the first oh. drives. And that's normally like a scripted yes, type good offense point. where he's being trying to be integrated and given, you know, a target that's going to go to him. Like it's because that's the way the, the offense is scripted. And then after that, he kind of just goes away by the wayside. Um, and I wonder if there's a way to kind of get him more um, touches by using him as, as maybe the, the first read and, and some of the the, the looks that, the, that Lamar's going to have. You know, that that's an outstanding point there because they have those plays scripted in at least two ways. One is for personnel they're going to have on the field, and the other is for the play. So on those first 15 or 20 plays, they know the combination of personnel and route they want to do. Now, if later in the game – 
they just stick the package in and then and then Andrews uh, is going to be the guy. They, they, they still will have a package of plays for likely. I'm not saying there aren't other plays that they could have ready and scripted for likely. You'd like to have more of those and, you know, okay, we're going to go run number 17 now, which means you got to get likely in the game for Andrews kind of thing. That's fine. Um, but but you make a great point that the more you see it was a scripted play that likely got the football, the more concerned you should be about the trust between Lamar and likely. Uh, that was your point, right? Yeah. 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 So you know, hopefully that, that trust grows and, you know, it, it's going to have to come through success. I think, like you mentioned with, with Lamar and Monken, I think a similar thing has to be formed with, with the receivers and the quarterback. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I, I'll, uh, Let's talk about Rashad Bateman. And in some ways, you know, it may be kind of moot at this point because he's he's hurt and he may miss time. He's probably going to miss some time, but we don't we just don't know how much at this point. Um, there there have there is some kind of a thing going on where where Bateman is just not first in the mind of of Lamar Jackson in terms of getting good reads, even when he's open. You alluded to it, I think, in the first show. Um, a lot of good stuff in the first show about scheme and, and, uh, things that if you have not listened to it, please go back and download it. There's a lot of good stuff, particularly Gabe brought up about that, but I thought the, um, you know, Bateman running open and not getting targeted is something there where Lamar have maybe have a read by read look and not as much of a full field look where he's trying to really diagnose in a, in a broader sense, what's, what's going on as the play's developing. And, um, and it, for whatever reason, you know, flowers, is and is the first hot and the second hot is Andrews as he always has been. And that just doesn't leave a lot of room. All the other receiving weapons that they brought in, uh, you know, are, are, are basically, you know, sucking hind teat as, uh, as the former CEO at my company would say on, on this. Yeah. And he was the other person I was alluding to as, as someone who I think for this, for the offense to really be kind of clicking at all levels, Bateman has to be more involved. Um, he's, he's someone who is a very good, um, intermediate target. You know, he's, he's shown the ability to get yards after the catch. Um, he, on film, at least he's shown the ability to, to win versus zone coverage in particular. I think he's a little bit better now, um, versus man. He's, he's had some struggles, I think in terms of being, being able to get separation. Um, but I, I really think that, he's kind of an afterthought right now in the offense. Um, that, you know, there's a couple of times that he's gone targeted on some quick throws um, that have, you know, been positive in nature, but in, in this game, two of the targets were uncatchable. You know, one was kind of like, I don't know if it was like a, just a slip out of the hand, but the ball is basically a, a ground ball that Lamar threw. Another one was mm-hmm. thrown out of bounds on, on a, on a deep pass um, where, you know, Bateman was, was a targeted, but you know, the ball wasn't ever even remotely catchable. Right. So, um, you know, hopefully, you know, there's just some, some, maybe you just change the sequencing and, and the reads and, and get him some, some first looks as, as a first read in the progression so that he can be more incorporated into the offense. Cause that's only going to make things easier for everybody else. It's going to make it more open for Andrews. It's going to make it more open for flowers. If you have more receivers that are going to take the attention of the defense, it just makes it a better offense all around. I mean, first of all, I agree across the board on that. And he's one of the guys who should be a beneficiary of Flowers taking the top off because he is an intermediate guy. And when when you have more time to have routes develop more naturally or Lamar's extending plays, I think Bateman I think Bateman will be uh, much more valuable because he's a guy who uh, 
needs to get to the top of the stem in order to make his move. He's a, he's a very good route runner. Definitely. That was his big thing out of Minnesota. His big negative was drops. His big positive was a great route runner can run the entire tree and has a little bit of wiggle to make that cornerback make a mistake there. Now that's not, that's not Zay Flowers. Zay Flowers, you know, it's all about him being so sudden as an athlete. You just can't possibly keep up if you're trying to guess um, with, with Bateman. It's, it's really about, uh, he can make you make the wrong move. And, and it'd be nice to see Lamar take advantage of that and Bateman get back on the score sheet in a meaningful way week after week. Um, because, I, you know, he should be a four to five catch a game guy and not a two to three catch a game guy. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. Um, it's, he has a talent. He, he's a first round pedigree. I'm hoping that, you know, the injury isn't serious and he doesn't have to go on IR and he can come, come right back and be an integral part of the offense. Um, but at this point, it's kind of, kind of a wait and see. And it's disappointing that, you know, if, if he never really becomes a player that he, he could have been um, part of a student injury and, you know, and part of it might just be due to the, the new pecking order of, of weapons mm-hmm. that are in the offense. Yeah. Uh, my turn for a, uh, for another player. Um, I'll go with Kenyon Drake. Um, his impact in this game was pretty much negative. Mm-hmm. Um, but the upside was he looked really good on that screen until he fumbled. Like, mm-hmm. I think he has some juice that he can bring. You know, we saw it last year. He had some games where he had some really big performances um, out, of the, out of the backfield for the Ravens. He, he brought some much-needed kind of explosiveness into the running game. Um, you know, if, if, if Everett is going to miss time, and, you know, if if Justice Hill is going to be out for, you know, a longer period of time and, and Keaton Mitchell isn't back yet. If, if I have a choice between handing the ball off to Drake and handing the ball off to uh, Melvin Gordon, I like my upside with Drake more than what I'm getting from Gordon. Gordon, to me, is more of a plotter. He's he's I would say kind of a Gus Edwards type, but without the vision and without the kind of ability to pick up more chunk yards in the open field. Um I know they need bodies there, and that's why he's on the roster. But um, I think that, for the most part, there's there's more upside with with Kenyon Drake in this offense if if they need to have that uh, kind of a fourth or fifth option out there at the running back position. Right, and and I I would agree. I think that that Drake gives you more, and certainly on first or second down. Um, I I think it's it's probably true on third down too, honestly, because Gordon has not been a very good pass blocker, and. If you look at Gordon's PFF grade, I've never seen anything this distinct. But Gordon is like nine years in the league, and his PFF pass blocking grade has gone down every single year. Every single year, it's like trends like that are, are hard to to miss. And uh, he's he's you know he's just not the guy you probably want out there on third down. Whereas Drake, you know, he one thing he showed us last year was that he really did a good job of finishing runs when given good L two opportunities to start with. That he could he could make maybe make somebody miss an L two, but did a really good job of putting away runs and running away from defenders in level two, and that that was not the case, of course, with Dobbins, despite the fact he had good field vision and and you know made something out of those opportunities. He was he was losing a lot of the last yards towards the goal line. Yeah, and and this game, you know, Drake also had um, the unfortunate, I guess, outlet pass to Lamar in in overtime where he was. I don't know if it was a miscommunication or he ran the wrong route. And, and that might just be like a chemistry thing. Um, but Lamar kind of threw it behind him. Drake had kind of made a cut to come back upfield. And I don't know if Lamar was expecting him to stay in the flat. I'm not exactly sure what happened there. Or, or maybe Lamar was just 
he had a player right in his face. He was getting rid of the ball. It could have been the situation as well. Um, but he was open. Like he, he, you know, he was that outlet on that play. He could have potentially caught that ball and, and ran for a first down as well. Um, I, th- I think he provides that in the, in this offense. And um, if, if need be, I, I think he's someone that you can, can kind of lean into to kind of add a little bit of, of that, you know, catch and run ability, the ability yeah. to kind of take a, a, a three yard gain potentially into a, a big, a big play. If, if he can make a man miss. How did he do in 22 in terms of, of receiving? I just got to look at that back for a minute. So he had, he did have 17 receptions averaged only 5.2 yards per catch. So he only averaged, looks like about three and a half, a little less than three and a half yards per target last year. Not what you'd want, but I, you know, even though that's a, a fairly substantial chunk of plays there, I think a lot of that can be put on the fact the Ravens were playing such incredible small ball by the time he got in that it became a, a you know a difficult thing for him to do much. And just the twenty-four yard play, probably if he had held on to the football, probably would have been his best play of last season. Yeah, it would have been. His, his long was nineteen the the entire season as a receiver. So, um, yeah. But, but we, we have seen what he can do in the open field, you yeah. know, as a, as a runner. So I think, you know, it's just a matter of, of getting him the ball in, in space. And, and I think that is a feature of the, of the I'm going to say, Greg Roman, Todd Munkin offense, yeah. um, as opposed to the Greg Roman offense, where it's kind of just like a around the last scrimmage check down, you know, see more receivers in routes with the ability to, to run and actually pick up positive yards. I, th- I think he can do, you know, some good work in that, in that role if given the opportunity. Um, I'll pick a player here. Let's talk about Nelson Aguilar because I think his role is about to increase for the Ravens. He's played well the last two weeks, uh, caught four to four for what it was a 39 or something this week, uh, and had five out of six last week, including the touchdown. So first of all, he's catching the football, which is important and is the biggest knock on Aguilar being a, being a consistent dropper. Uh, so that's nice. There seems to be a little bit of a connection between him and Lamar. We certainly saw that, uh, in camp that, that he was a, a receiver they liked, um, that, or that Lamar seemed to like. Uh, but anyway, it, I think he now is the guy who obviously moves into that X job. Uh, there, there really isn't anybody else at this point. You can isolate if you want. You can isolate Flowers on that side of the field for some plays, but I think it actually takes away some of the threat of Flowers to, to have him over there. So it's probably nice to have Aguilar um, on that side uh, and and do some things with him. Uh, he more is going to be asked. I think, you know, if you had the over on Nelson Aguilar's total targets for the year, you're probably going to win at this point, given, given where the, uh, uh, how often the Ravens have gone to him in these first three games and, and where that projects to go over the next few weeks. Um, I, I know some national people had him for like 16 targets or whatever, and 11 catches for the season. And I, I think it's a, uh, you know, it's going to be a pretty big number for, for Aguilar right now in terms of, of potential targets. Yeah, kind of an underrated signing in the offseason. Um, you know, I think Eric DeCosta is on the record saying, you know, he was someone that felt fit a need. Um, they weren't sure if they are going to be able to sign a bigger fish like an Odell Beckham at that time. And and Aguilar would be able to come in and, you know, add another dimension to the offense. I, I think he can be a deep threat. He's, he's always been someone who has speed. I think he still has that. Um, but I think where he's made his most – usefulness in this short season so far has been, you know, catching those balls over the middle, you know, the intermediate routes that we were talking about earlier with Bateman. I think mm-hmm. Aguilar can slot right into those as well. Um, and 
you know, he has shown that ability to make the tough catch. Um, the drops have not been an issue with him. Um, he's made some really pretty catches. The over-the-shoulder catch to to have the, t- the touchdown against Cincinnati was, was really nice. He's had some other ones that have been contested, and he's come down with the ball. Um, so that, that's something that I think we're going to definitely have to see more of if, if these injuries continue to pile up. Um, and I agree with you. He's going to be someone who's going to be probably uh, a significant contributor um, throughout the season, even even if you know everybody comes back healthy, I think he's proven that he can be someone who is a regular in the rotation. Lamar seems to trust him, and like we've talked about that already several times in this episode. He's gone to him many times in in kind of big situations without any without any thought about it at all, and and that that says something to me. Yeah, I, I completely agree there, and and uh, I don't think there needs to be any artificial building of trust with additional you know scheduled schemed targets um to get the ball to him i think it's just it's it's much more natural in that case kind of a big target too in some ways you know at this point in his career i'm not saying the speed is all gone because he certainly was a a a very speedy player when he first came into the game but um some of the speed is probably gone a lot of his game is more about wiggle at the top of the route and he plays more like a tight end than he does a, a a true um you know outside wide receiver x or Z, whichever side you want him on, but but I think he's he's pretty much going to be forced into the X role for a lot of the snaps uh, over these next couple of weeks at least. Yeah, I mean, we don't know the timetable of some of these players. You know, Beckham and and Bateman as the as the key players who are you know hurt right now. So um, if if Aguilar and, and Flowers are your your two you know one and two receivers as the year, um, it's it's not what we we're expecting at the beginning of the, the season, but I, I think you know, they could be in a lot worse position than, than they than they're in right now, as we've seen, you know, as, as recently as, as the end of last season. So um, I, I like what I've seen from Aguilar and I think it's something that can be built on as, as we continue to go through the season. Yeah. All um, right. Maybe one more player sure. um, real quick. Just want to shout out Gus Edwards because he's been really good for the Ravens um, through this, three games of the season. Um, I, I feel like, you know, as Ravens fans, we, we, we don't always appreciate what we have. Um, <laughs> and I, I know I'm guilty of that as well. Um, I thought there was times where I wasn't even sure if, if Edwards was going to be on the roster this season, they restructured his contract. So it became clear that he was, um, but he's been a really important player for them. You know, last week was critical. I think we saw what happened when he was lost in this game the inability to gain those first downs to um, in critical drive after drive in, in the end of the fourth quarter and in overtime, not having that player who could, could get you a critical first down on a, on a second and medium or a third and short um, really hurt them. And I think um, he'll be missed if he, if he misses time. Um, I think even if he, you know, is able to play, he's still going to be somewhat on a pitch count. You know, I think that's kind of the way they're using him. They don't want to, they don't want him to be a guy who's going to get 20 touches in a game um, because he's very important and, and they don't want to wear him out. Um, so I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, he, you know, comes test clean through the concussion protocol and is able to contribute because in the, in the coming couple weeks, you know, he can be a, a really big factor for a couple of, of teams that I think, you can potentially run on a little bit, especially the Steelers. Mm-hmm. The Browns have been a little, you know, better defensively than I think anybody anticipated, but um, they haven't also gone up against, you know, a really functional offense yet. So we'll see how that matchup 
goes, but I think if Gus Edwards is, Gus Edwards is on the field, the Ravens are going to be better for it every single time. Yeah, I completely agree. And and Gus has been one of those consistent running backs in the history of the National Football League. He's again at five yards per carry this year. That's one of the real questions I had was, were the Ravens going to be as effective running out of a lot of 11 personnel this year? But Edwards has been fine with that. And he's also been in the game with Ricard probably a little bit more as the season has rolled on because he's been the guy they brought in the second half to close it out against Cincinnati to help close it out against the Texans, although that didn't really work quite as well. Um, but, but uh, they, you know, it, he's been remarkably consistent in his Ravens career and, and uh, he's one of the players we, we, we really need to celebrate probably his last year as a Raven, but maybe the Ravens have enough money to try and sign one or two of these players back, whether it's stone or Edwards, maybe Dobbins now, you know, with a, with kind of a tenuous situation for him or even Zeitler. Yeah. And I, I would throw justice Hill in there as well. He, I think he's someone he's, he's also he's signed for two years already. Oh, is he? Okay. Yeah. Wrong about that. Um, yeah. yeah. Then I think I would, I'd like to have Edwards back among those players listed, but um, you know, it, it, it's going to be a tough off season. I think um, there's a lot of free agents that are going to be up and can't bring them all back. So. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, uh, I agree. Um, and it could be a case where Hill is, is cut for salary cap yeah. reasons, but, but, but he's, he's, uh, he is signed through, I think he's, he's about a $3 million cap at next year. Yeah, you're right. Uh, all right. Uh, outstanding. We've run a little long here, so I think we're going to we're gonna have to pass on the mailbag. We, of course, don't have MVPs in a game where the Ravens uh, lose, so we're not going to try and do that. But, Gabe, I, I always have to tell you how much I appreciate talking football with you. You're taking time out of your busy schedule. Uh, we don't call you Dr. Gabe Ferguson on the show, but we know you are, and, and we appreciate you uh, uh, making the time for us and, uh, and all you bring to the table in terms of, of this discussion. Well, I always enjoy coming on the show. So, you know, thank you for having me. Um, wish it could have been talking about a Ravens win as opposed to a Ravens loss. Um, but I think, you know, there will be plenty more victories over the rest of the season. So maybe we'll have another opportunity to get in here after a win. Um, but, you know, it's it's beginning of a long season. I think there's a lot of positive things moving forward. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to, to, ha- to being able to, talk with you know ravens fans on my podcast and when i have the jordan um situation room so if you like my kind of conversation or uh, the points i like to make um feel free to download and listen to that one um we'll have two podcasts each week and um also available on twitter to talk anytime at gabe fergie love to you know talk about you know the, the game the comings and goings players moves all of, all of that stuff all right. Other folks, I think by now you, you know where you go if you want to be on a film study short, so hit me up with a DM. But also say, hit, hit us up with a subscribe if you haven't already, or maybe convince somebody else to hit us up with a subscribe to the podcast. We always appreciate that when we can get some new listeners that way. Listens have been fantastic, by the way, this year. Really appreciate the incredible loyalty of the listener base here. Um, when I interact with you, whether it's on Twitter, by DM, by whatever method, uh, you guys have an amazing capacity to recall specific instances where, in particular, that I make a wrong prediction, and and I really appreciate that. That means you're a very loyal listener to the show, and and uh, want to thank people for that. Uh, Gabe, thanks again for coming on. Anytime, Ken. Just, just give me a give me a call, <laughs> and we'll talk to you next time on Film Study.
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Grainger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Grainger. For the ones who get it done.